and a big warm welcome to the Wildlife Matters podcast. I'm your host, Nigel Palmer. Well, here we are in 2024. And I hope you had a great Christmas and New Year or Hogmanay and are now ready to make this year one where you become a voice for wildlife and the natural world as part of the ever-developing Wildlife Matters community. We are one of the leading wildlife podcasts dedicated to wildlife and nature with a particular focus on the fascinating wildlife in the UK. Wildlife Matters is building a community of wildlife and nature lovers through our podcast as we take you into the fascinating complexities of the natural world and the wildlife we share it with. With engaging interviews with folk actively working to conserve, protect and enhance nature or those who protect, rescue and rehabilitate sick or injured wildlife and animals to taking deep dives into the fascinating world of wildlife from amphibians to mammals and trees to fungi, we have it covered and will expose the cruelty inflicted by so-called traditional sports and pastimes that are a cover for the death and suffering of sentient wild animals in Wildlife Matters Investigates. From our wildlife walks and projects where we are working to help conserve ancient woodlands and temperate rainforests, working to end the pollution in our rivers and oceans, to ensure we will always have the right to roam. The Wildlife Matters podcast is the place for nature lovers. So please make sure you follow and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On today's Wildlife Matters podcast, we will be talking about hoglets, yeah, young hedgehogs. And in Wildlife Matters Investigates, we look at lion cub petting and tell you why it is so wrong. In this week's Nature News is a story close to our hearts as we cover the government's plans to protect and conserve the UK's temperate rainforest, a habitat that is so rare and under constant threat. We also will enjoy some mindful moments in nature. And that's all coming up after we hear from our partners at One Voice for Animals. Exciting news! Wildlife Matters has formed a partnership with the fabulous folk at One Voice for Animals. Our partnership aims to raise awareness of the work of the many independent rescues that are part of the One Voice for Animals family. One Voice for Animals works to create awareness of the work of rescue organisations all around the UK to provide practical support that is raising standards for animal rescues and helping them to raise the vital funds that they need. The One Voice for Animals directory is the place to go to find your local animal rescue, be that for companion or wild animals. 
and collectively, One Voice for Animals works to influence UK animal welfare issues on behalf of their member organisations and is a member of APGORE, the all-parliamentary group for animal welfare. For more information, please visit the One Voice for Animals website. Their website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. And just in case you've missed that, get your pen and papers ready. The website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. Now let's get back to the Wildlife Matters podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. And we are covering a story very close to our own hearts and one of the projects that Wildlife Matters is currently working on. And that's the temperate rainforests of the UK. The UK's temperate rainforest, known as Atlantic Woodland or Celtic Rainforest, used to cover a vast area from Cornwall to the west of Scotland. And they were home to a variety of wildlife. However, only small, isolated pockets remain due to centuries of destruction and there's just 72 square miles of temperate rainforest left in England. The remaining areas are threatened by overgrazing, invasive species and nitrogen pollution. After a three-year campaign, the government has launched a new strategy to revive the habitat, committing £750,000 to research and development. The British government plans to work alongside farmers and landowners to protect the rainforest areas. In general, conservationists welcome the plans to protect and recover England's temperate rainforests. Still, some, like Guy Shrubsole, who leads the Lost Rainforests of Britain campaign, want to double the area of rainforest in Britain by 2050. Guy says it's exciting that the government has devoted entire policy documents to this habitat. Joan Edwards, the Director of Policy for the Wildlife Trust, said temperate rainforests is a globally rare habitat. She stated that it was once one of the jewels in Britain's nature crown and that the remnants still contain some of the highest floral diversity in the world, including a vast array of mosses, lichens, liverworts and ferns. Edwards welcomed the government's intention to invest in the temperate rainforest restoration and management to protect 30% of the land by 2030 and look forward to a more detailed strategy in the coming months. The Woodland Trust describes Britain's temperate rainforest as unique and scarce habitat. It is believed to be more threatened than tropical rainforest due to its lush conditions, perfect for scarce plants, lichens, fungi and remarkable range of birds and mammals. 
Wildlife Matters has been working in the west of Scotland for two years to conserve and protect areas of rainforest that were threatened by the overgrazing of sheep and the impact of the pesticides and fertilisers used by arable farmers. There are two small areas of Celtic rainforest, both in Dumfries and Galloway, which have a native mix of downy birch and alder with a blend of grey willow, ash and Scots pine making up most of the upper canopy species. The middle and lower canopies are being surveyed currently and two lichen and moss surveys will be undertaken in the early part of 2024. This winter, volunteers of Wildlife Matters are working to remove invasive species such as Rhododendron ponticum, Himalayan balsam, snowberry and giant hogweed. Wildlife Matters welcomes the government's intention to fund the conservation and protection of the UK's temperate rainforest and will work to ensure that they deliver on their policy proposals. We look forward to bringing you more updates on our project work in Dumfries and Galloway on the Wildlife Matters podcast and on our website, which is www.wildlife-matters.org. That should be in the very near future. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. Welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, where today we're looking at lion cub petting and why it's wrong. At this time of year, many of us are thinking of booking that exotic holiday or safari that we've been looking for. And you can see the attraction of being close to lion cubs. But that is why Wildlife Matters puts this investigation out now so that you are pre-warned and don't make the mistakes that others have made. Because if you are considering a safari to the Southern Africa this year, then here are some tips that you will want to know before you go and get taken for a ride by the cruel lion breeding industry. So if you are considering petting a lion cub and sharing the picture on social media, don't because many people have done this before and it's a big mistake. Cub petting may seem harmless, but please take a moment to reflect on this. Why is the cub in the petting area instead of with its mother? Is it still being fed breast milk? If you ask, you're most likely to be told that the cub is an orphan and it is being hand-raised to save it. However, that's almost certainly not true. Lion breeders remove cubs from their mothers when they are less than one hour old. The mother is most likely somewhere else on the breeder's farm being mated for the next litter of cubs to help sustain their vile business. Unfortunately, many people who love animals stumble into the dark and murky world of lion breeding. 
It's tough to navigate the lies and myths that lion breeders use to cover up their immoral business. Wildlife Matters is here to help you, though, in making the right choices for animal welfare. Here is our guide to breaking down the myths of the lion breeders. Myth one, lions used for petting and walking activities are rescue animals. False. There may be a few injured lions that couldn't be returned to the wild, but most of these animals come from one of the 160 plus breeding facilities in South Africa alone. They have between 6,000 and 8,000 captive bred big cats collectively. Nearly 7,000 of those are lions, whilst the remainder are cheetahs, leopards and tigers. And don't be fooled into believing that they have rescued tigers that aren't even native to the African continent. Myth 2. The hand-reared cub is an orphan. False. Most lion cubs born on these breeding farms are removed from their mother by the staff, usually within one hour of their birth. Removing the cubs from a healthy mother and bottle feeding them habituates them making them entirely dependent upon the breeder and encouraging the females to breed again more quickly. A captive lioness can therefore produce two or even three litters every year, whereas in the wild she would have only one litter every two to three years. And if that's not horrific enough, they get paying visitors or volunteers to bottle feed and hand rear the cubs. Volunteers are duped into paying to participate in activities like petting and walking with big cats, thinking that they are helping orphaned cubs and supporting lion conservation through reintroduction programs. However, nothing could be further from the truth. Contrary to popular belief, these lions and other cats are not tame. They are habituated or made dependent on humans through hand-rearing and hands-on activities like the petting, cubs and lion walks. This conditioning raises money for the breeders who sell these habituated cubs to licensed dealers who run the canned hunts where they will be shot as trophies. In South Africa, hundreds of lions are killed every year for their bones and other body parts, which are sold in traditional Asian medicine markets. This industry is farming lions and other big cats for profit rather than any conservation purpose. Captive bred lions have little or no conservation value as they cannot survive if released back into the wild due to their habituation. Organisations like Pantera have called out the conservation myth perpetuated by captive lion reintroduction programmes in South Africa. The breeding and petting of big cats in captivity is a commercial operation that generates profits from the sale of the animals. There is no need to exploit cubs or pay volunteers through hands-on activities to generate income for the upkeep of captive animals. 
But it is fair to say there are some good sanctuaries, and these are the ones that you should look at, such as Lion's Rock Big Cat Sanctuary, operated by Four Paws, or the Born Free Foundation, which operates two reserves within the Shinwari Reserve. Both charities prove you can run a sanctuary based on strict no-breeding and no-touching policies. Natural covers provide forever homes to captive bred animals that cannot otherwise be released back into the wild. It is a common misconception that conserving an ambassador species is acceptable. However, this is far from the truth. The ambassador species concept is a myth propagated by the breeding industry. Interacting with big cats or wild animals in captivity is unethical as it leads to habituation and then they can never return to the wild. Petting a cub may seem harmless to you, but it is a cruel act that condemns that animal to a life of captivity. As we have found out, captive breeding and petting of wild animals is wrong. Their reasons for doing so are easily dismissed. We should remember the advice passed down by generations of mothers. Look with your eyes, not with your hands. The lion cubs belong to nature and it is not our place to touch them or condemn them to a life of captivity. This trade of exploiting wild animals needs an immediate worldwide ban effectively administered by all countries. We're not there yet, but Wildlife Matters is working with others through CITES with the aim of developing that worldwide ban and stopping the cool trade in lion cub petting. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. Now it's time on the Wildlife Matters podcast to make time to be at one with nature. I recorded this on an evening walk across the local meadows back in September. The early evening birdsong was bright and cheerful, as was the warm, dry evening as the sun slowly dipped under the horizon. Relax and enjoy.
that nice. It's always so rewarding to spend time in nature and just let the sounds of nature wash away the stresses and strains of the day. How many birds were you able to pick out today? There are no prizes, but do drop me a line if you have heard more than six in our clip. Our email address is hello at wildlife-matters.org. That's hello at wildlife-matters.org. And I really enjoy reading all of your comments. And welcome back. And on this week's Wildlife Matters main feature, we're talking all about hedgehogs and looking at baby hedgehogs or hoglets. Now, the breeding season for hedgehogs in the UK, sometimes known as the rut, typically begins in May. Most young hedgehogs are born in June and July, and females can have one or two litters per year. Litters born late in the summer or around September time can find it harder to reach a sufficient size to hibernate through the winter. This is because their food source disappears and they depend on supplementary feeding. Male hedgehogs will put on lengthy displays that can last for several hours to court their mates. These displays involve a lot of circling and rhythmic snorting, huffing and puffing. If another male tries to intervene, the rival males confront, chase and even headbutt each other as they are determined to keep their mate to themselves. Hedgehogs are usually solitary animals. However, during the mating season, male and female hedgehogs will share a nest for a short period before the male leaves. The male then takes no further part in rearing the young. The gestation period for hedgehogs is around 35 days. Hedgehogs are what are known as induced ovulators, meaning that the female only produces an egg whilst mating. Both male and female hedgehogs demonstrate promiscuity, each having multiple mates within a single season. This means that a single litter of hoglets can have various fathers. They breed in their second year, usually after hibernation. Baby hedgehogs or hoglets are born in litters of around four to five, but nothing in nature is precise and there may be just one single hoglet or as many as 11. Newborn hedgehogs are blind and weigh only three to 25 grams when born. When they're first born, Hoglets are pink and their spines are visible under their skin. They have a thin layer of skin covering them to protect their mother during the delivery. But this skin soon contracts, usually within hours, and the spines quickly appear. At this stage, the spines are soft to the touch and the skin on their back becomes dark. 
In their first week of life, these little hoglets will usually weigh between 28 and 56 grams, and that's approximately one to two ounces. And they are between 50 and 100 millimeters or two to four inches long. They have no teeth and their eyes and ears are closed. By the end of the second week, their weight can double to 56 to 85 grams or two to three ounces, and they will grow between 70 and 130 mil or three to five inches in length. Although their eyes will remain closed, they could open soon and their ears begin to appear. After three weeks, these hoglets will reach three to four ounces or 85 to around 110 grams and their eyes are now open. They grow their first teeth and then can drink and forage on tiny snails and small beetles. They weigh around 115 to 170 grams or four to six ounces after four weeks and they start to look like mini adult hedgehogs. It's around now that the mother will take her young on their first foraging trip. They can be seen on their nightly wanders to foraging sites, feeding stations and waterholes. Some mothers check on their hoglets as they forage whilst others feed and allow their hoglets to follow them. It is known that the hoglets can find food for themselves at this stage and feed themselves. Even in gardens where the food is provided, they will still forage for natural food. Over the next few weeks, the hoglets will become ever more independent. Their personalities will start to show as some hedgehog babies stay close to their mum, whilst others are clearly more independent and willing to roam. They are constantly moving, their noses twitching in search of food. Despite previous beliefs, mothers have been observed on track cameras, leaving the nest and returning once a day to feed their young. It has also been observed that mothers and babies hibernate together over the winter. Sometimes mothers build more than one nest and they will move their babies if the nest is disturbed. They may also prepare multiple nesting places in case one is unsuitable, such as flash flooding from heavy rainfall. Please do let us know if you have observed this happening in your garden. Hedgehogs are stoic and independent animals, but sometimes they do need help. If you see a hedgehog out during the day, watch it for a few minutes and ask yourself if it is moving freely. If it is, it could be a mother gathering nesting materials or looking for food, particularly between May and September each year. If the hedgehog is not moving, and especially if there are flies around it, it probably does need your help. In this case, you should contact your local wildlife rescue who can provide further advice. Between September and November, 
a hedgehog out during the day could be feeding up for its long winter sleep. However, if you see a hedgehog out between November and April, it probably does need your help. Due to warmer winters, hedgehogs are more likely to hibernate for shorter periods. When they wake up, they need to feed urgently as it requires a lot of energy to raise their bodies from torpor and start foraging to find food. If you see a hedgehog that needs help, we advise you to take a picture or even better, a short video on your phone and then contact your local wildlife rescue. Then use WhatsApp or email them the video and follow any advice that they give you. If you are unaware of a wildlife rescue near you, please take a look at the One Voice for Animals website which contains a directory of wildlife rescues throughout the UK with their contact details. You can search the One Voice for Animals directory by region, town, city or postcode. So if you get a pen and paper, I will give you the web address. If you're ready, the One Voice for Animals website address is www.helpanimals.com co.uk. Once again, that is www.helpanimals.co.uk. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters main feature, all about baby hedgehogs. Well, aren't hoglets just incredible? I hope you enjoyed that as much as we have. Thank you for being with us today. We know how valuable your time is and thank you for choosing to spend it with us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe and share it with your friends, family and network. It is the best way for our community to continue to grow. And as we grow, our voices will get ever louder as we work to protect wildlife and conserve nature. The Wildlife Matters podcast will return in two weeks' time, bringing light into the middle of the longest month of the year. But until then, don't forget to keep living our wildlife in tune with nature and always be yourself and stand up and speak out for what you believe in. But for now, that's a wrap. And this is me, Nigel Palmer, Wildlife Matters, signing off.